0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember, hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become?
1: Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2.
0: Play it now with Game Pass. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. Now, this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you.
1: I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you.
0: Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris.
1: What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking movie from 2023 available on Apple TV plus still colon. A Michael J. Fox
0: movie. You were like, let's do still. And I was like, what is still? So I looked it up and there's like five movies called still. (laughs) Still,
1: an ironic title, a movie about a man with Parkinson's disease, a disease that prohibits you from being still.
0: Yeah, well, so it's you're trying to achieve it through a combination, a cocktail of medication and scientific advancement. But still is like the Scientology version still is like clear in Scientology, right? You're just you're trying to ever to achieve that thing. And also a testament to Michael J. Fox's enduring nature.
1: That's right. Double entendre. Michael J. Fox is not a Scientologist, right?
0: No, I I didn't. But this is devoid of anything political. This is not really. I I expected it to be one thing, and it mostly was that one thing. But I did expect it to devolve into Steve Gleason territory or Val territory. These documentaries about people with afflictions, I guess you consider cancer for Val Kilmer, which really changes their career and kind of comes to define their life. And I expected him to. I was waiting for the breakdown. Down scene where he absolutely collapses, like when Val puked in the trash can spoiler, or when Steve Gleason, you know, breaks down into tears, like on camera, and there's the money shot, and and that it was going to be a woe is me pity kind of documentary.
1: Well, they got the money shot out of the way pretty early when he totally eats it on the streets with his trainer.
0: Yeah. Establishing that right out of the gate. We see, you know, Michael J. Fox. And is he trying to stay still in frame? And look how Michael J. Fox I can still be. But then like within seconds, he's stumbling around and really having. a. And I don't mean to say that to like to be funny. It's absurd the way I said it. But his walk is pronounced in his disability. And he doesn't shy away from that stuff at all.
1: Oh, he's 100% aware of it. He even says the walk is what really freaks people out. Maybe even taking taking some kind of morbid pleasure in it and just kind of going for it. Like he just, he launches into his lurch with... Seemingly little regard.
0: And and the point is, that is what starts the documentary.
1: Right. To what? Set a certain tone, you mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, that was intentional. Davis Guggenheim puts him up front, walking sort of immediately. And I think it's meant to be jarring. It's meant to be shocking. Right before Still, I watched Back to the Future and... He is young and vibrant, and he's still vibrant, definitely not young, because like Michael J. Fox, I am also old and can recognize oldness, but he's in relatively pretty poor health. So to see that, but Davis Guggenheim wanted to show in conjunction with him lurching around, still that Michael J. Spark in his eyes. And while I didn't necessarily see the gleam in his eye, you can definitely tell that he's still altogether mentally and he's sharp and funny and self-deprecating and charming.
1: He does have a little bit of a gleam in his eye. Maybe it's masked by the expressionless mask, I think, as he called it. Yeah. Like, (laughs) what was the what was the litmus test? Like, show me your surprise face or show me your ecstatic face? (laughs) I think that
0: gleam was the LED production light in his face reflecting in his eyes.
1: Maybe. There's other ways for him to show his vitality. I mean, I think it's within the the chemistry of his family that there is, you can tell there's so much love. I mean, I think that's the moral of this story, right? The enduring love of his family, despite, you know, him being at least early in their marriage and his career kind of an absentee dad. They were able to get through this trial together and in sickness and in health and all that stuff. It's very touching.
0: Well, yeah. And like he said, an actor of tremendous talent who basically becomes a single mom. And they wouldn't have been able to get to that point if Tracy hadn't more or less given up her career, or her trajectory to whatever fame she would have achieved outside of being married to Michael J. Fox after her little like stint on family ties or whatever.
1: I mean, three kids, right? Yep. That's uh, that's going to take a good chunk of time. For a good period of time.
0: Of course. But you kind of, you know, in a partnership like that, his fame was overwhelming and much demand on his time. And you make hay while the sun shines.
1: You know, two things that really struck me and still were the fame, which I guess I never really considered. I thought of Michael J. Fox as being more of a of an institution than a really famous dude. But he was super famous. And the second thing that really struck me was just how small he was. I don't think that I ever really considered, because he has such a larger than life personality, because he's always paired with proportionally sized women. I just never considered how truly small he is.
0: Man, Tom Cruise made an entire career out of this. Of being small? He's only like 5'7 or whatever, and people like accommodating him and putting him on apple crates and shooting him from direct angles and putting Kelly McGillis in, from Top Gun in a trench standing next to the jukebox. So she she's not four inches taller than him.
1: <laughs> it seemed like he kind of embraced it like it was almost his superpower, his eternal <laughs> youth and his just kind of how, how nimble he was. But I don't think he's like 5'7".
0: Well, Michael J. Fox is around 5'4", as I understand it. But he has this Malcolm Gladwell advantage where he looks and can play much younger than his actual age. So in Back to the Future, playing a 17-year-old, he's a well-established, prescient 25-year-old who's sharp, you know, even for that age, in his own regards, has wonderful comedic timing. So he can play, when he's a kid, roles, oh, they need like an 11-year-old, and he's like We need a precocious
1: 11-year-old. Yeah, exactly. And so
0: he can he can he's older and smarter and has that to his advantage, has much better physical control and presence. And that translates really well for what you would think would be a disadvantage in his life on screen uh, really helps him.
1: It's true. And he's an official five foot foot. Four and one quarter.
0: Well, at that height, that one quarter means a lot. (laughs) I was about to say. (laughs) Right? So you're you're never going to lose it. But it didn't really come home to me (laughs) until late stage in this movie when they showed the actor in the Recre being suited up in the vest and he walks onto the Back to the Future set with his camcorder. And I swear that was either a little person or a fully a 10-year-old child in right? Michael J. Fox garb. And I was like, that guy's a little bit too small, right?
1: Maybe that's why I'm taking away the smallness of Michael J. Fox, because his the Recreation actor is genuinely <laughs> very small. I think he's got good hair. He's got <laughs> he's got full on Michael J. Fox hair, but he's otherwise kind of a child. Yeah. At least child size.
0: Did it stick out to you because it immediately struck me the similarities of this to other documentaries, be it uh, multi-episodic documentaries like McMillions or The Big Con, this heavy use of recre that eventually begins to blend unless you're sort of aware of it. This actor in bed looking at his hands and the tremor and all this stuff and getting up and facing away from the camera to go down the hall of his gigantic mansion or whatever, uh, you know, at the height of Michael J. Fox's fame, you never see his face, did it strike? you as being obvious
1: definitely aware of it at up front because they established the aesthetic really early on but the blending of recreation archival and clips from actual content was really skillfully done it was i totally recognized that we weren't what we what we were seeing wasn't reality per se But sometimes I couldn't tell the difference between the three different motifs they were applying.
0: Well, for me, it was definitely when you could see his face, number one. Uh, you knew that it wasn't a, a dramatic recreation. It was something he was doing. And then, two, because I recognized a lot of those movies, I think that if you're watching still a Michael J. Fox story, it's because you're a Michael J. Fox fan. And I never watched Family Ties. I never watched Spin City. I might have seen some episodes of those shows. Didn't watch the Michael J. Fox show. I, I feel kind of guilty about that. But I'm I'm much more a movie guy. And so I saw a lot of, of, of course, Back to the Future, but also The Hard Way and The Frighteners and, and The Secret of My Success. Then I can tell what it was from. But honestly, their use of the cinematic footage of him weaving it into the story, it was great because it didn't it almost didn't have to make sense. It was Michael J. Fox going through those motions in a way that we get it because his on-screen persona is much more available to us and is what we associate with him as opposed to his real life. You know what I mean? It was kind of okay.
1: Like, to use his movies is almost more apropos than if we had a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes archival, because it's his movie persona that we know and understand and love.
0: Nicely summarized.
1: You said that you've seen Back to the Future, which is the understatement of the year, because not only have you seen it, you've seen it hundreds of times, and it's also your favorite movie of all time, but also you are saying that people watch still because they're Michael J. Fox fans, but... Don't they watch it because they're Back to the Future fans and aren't Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future kind of synonymous? Because to your point, I didn't watch Family Ties because for whatever reason, maybe we were too busy watching. I don't know what was a contemporary of that, Dallas or Married with Children or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you were like five.
1: (laughs) So I did. I missed Family Ties. And yet he's a
0: he's beloved to me. And that's kind of my point. Synonymous with Back to the Future, I'm sure people still yell to him, even though he's much older, much different. Michael J. Fox, hey, Marty, and all that stuff still to this day shows up at cons and on stage and reunions. The, and that was the movie that he, they were trying to get him out of this ironclad Family Ties contract. Like, we want him in the movie. And the guy running Family Ties was like, all right, he can do this movie, but he cannot take a single minute away from Facts wow. of Life, which was wow. a huge hit, and it was his star. And this is an untested movie. of uh, Steven Spielberg's got some cachet. But, you know, it wasn't a guarantee. And no one knew. How big Back to the Future would be because that movie, frankly, uh, was a shit show that we'll discuss, you know, in our review. But Michael J. Fox was a solid star and a celebrity and a real get for that little movie becoming before it became what it was back when he was like the star of Teen Wolf.
1: And apparently Robert Zemeckis' first choice. Could you imagine being the director of Family Ties and being responsible for Michael J. Fox not being in... Back to the Future?
0: Yeah, but this is all looking back 2020 legacy stuff. Like, he had a hit show with a hot kid, and that was all he knew. And, you know, it's still—some people still associate Michael J. Fox with family ties. And that's okay, because that dude had a hit show and wasn't about to let it go for some unknown movie just because Steven Spielberg wanted him.
1: (laughs) But I bet you didn't know the little tidbit about Michael J. Fox seeing them filming it and being like, what? Eric Stoltz? Why did they get Eric Stoltz? And he was, like, all jealous.
0: Yeah. You know that the Teen Wolf house is, like, three doors down from the Back to the Future house? No, oh,
1: weird. It's on the,
0: sa- on the same street. So if that was going on, and if they were in the same place filming two different movies, because Teen Wolf was shot first, and he called it what he called it, like, a crappy teenage werewolf movie, and then it was released <laughs> yeah. after to great acclaim. You know, in some places, Teen Wolf was released as the boy from the future,
1: Weird. What? It had nothing
0: whatsoever to do with the future, except it was Michael J. Fox star of Back to the Future, now in a teenage werewolf movie, which was actually shot beforehand. So very close. <laughs> uh, you know, like literally these productions were, were right next to each other. So, you know, a correlation is not causation, but... You know, when I heard that Michael J. Fox had Parkinson's, I was like, really? He's so young, he's so physically capable, he has such good comedic timing, he seems so youthful and vibrant, but I always heard and and saw in the supplemental stuff for Back to the Future that he did almost all, if not all, of his stunts. He would scream and jump off of buildings in part two and land on, well, like building facades and land on mattresses and stuff. Very physical comedy. And you hear the story about him not getting second off of family ties so he's shuttling between sets being driven by Teamsters trying to catch an hour of sleep in the thing uh, shooting family ties by day and back to the future at night getting two hours of sleep and then doing it on Saturday so they can do daytime exteriors with him on back to the future
1: and having zero context on if anything he's doing is any good
0: right and not knowing, but exhausted, and still performing at a very high level in two completely different formats, and I wonder if that hurt him. I don't know if that's me just being like, here's what I know, and here's what I attribute to his illness, but it seems like, number one, that's not healthy, and two, he went at such a, do you think, maybe kind of like Muhammad Ali, who also suffered from Parkinson's disease, that he kind of stretched himself too thin, maybe hurt himself, maybe contributed to his poor health, or is that me just being like an internet physician.
1: Obviously not the topic of the movie still, a Michael J. Fox movie, but something that I'm, I'm sure our listeners are curious about, like, why? How? If he was such an outlier case, if he was so young, if this was a disease that struck people in their 70s and the 80s, why, why? And Brian said, and I'm not sure the veracity of his source or what the source might be, but he, Brian said that Michael J. Fox attributes his Parkinson's disease to partying really early. Like partying when he was a preteen, like drugs and alcohol and just living kind of a really hard life in really early developmental stages. And I don't know if there's any evidence for that. We took
0: it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth.
1: It sounds like he was, you know, precocious and mature and kind of a, not a troublemaker, but he was, you know, he didn't, he wasn't like a straight and narrow kid. He kind of had a rough upbringing and stuff. So maybe there's, maybe there's some truth to that in terms of Michael J. Fox's life. And then medically, I just, I don't know. But it seems like we do deserve more of an explanation. And maybe I'm also just like middle-aged and hypochondriac but I was at the library yesterday and I spoke to the librarian and it literally came out as gibberish.
0: Having a strong.
1: Exactly, my mind was thinking relatively clearly and then out of my mouth with me being aware of it but not able to con- not being able to control it just came out like a string of gibberish and I paused and was like, what was that? <laughs>
0: Did you say, what was that, to the lady?
1: No, but I was pretty freaked out.
0: That on top of your decades-long shaky leg disease, it's onset Parkinson's.
1: Dude, restless leg. It's a thing. Yeah.
0: So that's a pretty thin connection, and it's nice that he has his own theories or whatever. It just, that's what I know about him, and that's what I attributed. Going back to the immersive nature of this documentary, to the layperson, it holds together really well in that sense. I think held together by the fact that Michael J. Fox can still deliver, unlike Val Kilmer, a solid voiceover narration. When they needed his voice on the phone or something that they couldn't get from the archival or a movie role, he could still sound like Michael J. Fox, probably because he is Michael J. Fox. But in there too, there were some solid Frankenbites that they leaned heavily on. Yeah. I'm guessing you can with tell. Michael J. Fox, you're going to need a Frankenbite or two, and they did it pretty well. I, I caught it, but it wasn't distracting enough for me to feel like this was a gimmick.
1: I mean, think that performance is the result of being a trained actor, having best-in-class physical trainers and voice trainers, plus medication. And he's still pretty frenetic. It just kind of shows how pervasive the disease is, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think you're making the counterpoint that he can still perform a total example of denial and kind of heartbreaking when he was saying that he thought that what he was experiencing was him getting better at acting at getting better at throwing away an expression, but was really just the beginning of the Parkinson's mask. Oh. He was saying, like, I'm better at not blinking in front of the camera.
0: Mm. That's why this movie is unflinching, because it deals with, you know, we see head on, face forward, what is he's dealing with, the look in his eyes. And he doesn't mask the tremors at all. And well, maybe if you see him on like Kimmel or something, he looks as rough as him stumbling around when he's really active. Generally speaking, he's still hitting that sweet spot of medication controlled Parkinson's when he's talking. I mean, I'm sure this wasn't him consistently at his absolute worst because you can see him. He sees it coming on. He's like, I need more pills. I need more pills because he doesn't want the interview to go south. Mm. But this wasn't his worst face. This was a glimpse of a bad face.
1: Yeah, he's not kind of spiraling into the worst of it. By the way, Danny Irizarry, the actor credited as Michael, I'm assuming in the recrease. Okay. Solid five three.
0: Okay, just a little bit short. Really, when he stands at when Michael J. Fox stands next to Biff, and like, and they're in the diner, and they're they're grabbing each other's collars and about to punch each other, it's pretty. It's like it's silly, because <laughs> uh, Thomas Wilson. Thomas F. Wilson was considerably larger than Eric Stoltz, who's almost at his eye line. But little Mikey Fox, man, when he gra- it's like he's beating up a kid.
1: <laughs> All right, you want to take a guess at Thomas F. Wilson's height?
0: I'd have to say six two if he's an inch.
1: Six two and a half, and I guess even six footers take those extra quarter and half inches.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's I pretty would.
1: good. You're pretty good at uh estimating. How tall are you?
0: Six feet. You know, but uh which Even? Kelly Ray doesn't really believe and uh, which is in endlessly infuriating to me. But then her ex are all like six five and wear like size fourteen shoe and stuff.
1: Really? Fifteen shoe? Jeez.
0: Yeah, it's gross. I don't know, but I I, I will lose it because it's no no one's ever said, oh, you're 6'1", and I'm like, huh, that doesn't jibe with what I've always been told, but it's been consistently six feet. That said, I have bad posture, and eventually my spine will, will compact or whatever, and then I'll lose some inches. You know that dad, with his back problems, has gone from 5'9", to his official height of 5'6", now at Kaiser?
1: He was only 5'9", at his Five
0: 5'9". So wow. you lose height. So I'm going to hang on to, to six feet for as long as I possibly can.
1: Uncle George was taller.
0: Yep. And in better shape and more active and all that stuff. So everybody falls apart. Hmm. My, you know, he recently said just a couple of weeks ago, his line now is I'm not going to be the guy who makes it to 80. Michael J. Fox is counting his days. And what did he say in this movie? If he makes it another 20 years, he'll either be better or a total pickle.
1: Yeah. I'm not ex- ex- exactly sure what that means. That does that mean he'd be literally pickled like in formaldehyde and dead?
0: No, no. I, well, if he makes it, assuming he's alive from the cocktail of meds, I mean, he's striving for even and workability on a day-to-day basis, but I'm sure that the medications will take its toll just like the disease is. It's a trade-off, and I'm sure there are side effects and things, so he'll be pretty well reliant on the medication for anything if he's still around in 20 years from whenever that particular interview was filmed. It's very sad, but he's (sighs) facing reality, and I have to wonder if... (sighs) No, not that Michael J. Fox wants to die, but there is some, there's got to be some relief to the idea that one day he won't have to deal with these struggles being either he's cured or he's gone.
1: Well, nobody lives forever.
0: If life is a constant struggle, then maybe the end point is something of a comfort. I don't know. I can't put words in his mouth.
1: Isn't life a constant struggle? Just relative struggles?
0: Yes, absolutely. 100%. You know how you look forward? You're like, oh man, I can't wait to go to bed because you're like an, an old person now. Yeah, and like, oh, I can't wait to be asleep. That's what the longing for death is like. It's not fatalistic. It's not that you want to go out in a blaze of glory or a bloody mess. It's just that you're tired and you want it to be done.
1: Well, now that you bring it up, isn't it kind of messed up that we lay our bodies down and go unconscious every night?
0: It's a definite flaw. I could not see how uh, an omniscient creator would instill such a weakness in us, given the violence and the uh, the evil in the world.
1: Like just the danger that we're vulnerable to when we're right? lifeless. It's in our why beds. we
0: need locks on our doors.
1: But we literally go away. People say that your brain is being repaired and it's like defragging and it's very healthy and all of those good things. But like other than dreams after you wake up, it is gone. You're done. Right.
0: And nobody fears that part because we're accustomed to it. I'm going to say that the end of the life is very similar, that you just sort of go and there is no fear. There are no concerns and everybody's fine. But people are deathly afraid of death. Get it?
1: I mean, doesn't the total annihilation of it all freak you out? I mean, yeah, maybe you're not going to mind after you die and stuff.
0: Yeah, all the stuff that you're not going to see. But there's nothing you can do because we're all going to face it or whatever. I'm saying that my idea of fatalism isn't because I'm afraid. It's more that people are going to miss me and all the cool stuff I'm going to miss moving forward. That said, I'm also going to miss a lot of junk. But we digress and we get awfully philosophical uh, in the, the middle of a discussion about still a Michael J. Fox story, but I mean, look at Back to the Future too. It's not going to be a pretty future in the far distant future of proposed 2015.
1: But it's also not that tangential or different than what the movie is talking about. I mean, it's <laughs> it's our it's our awareness of death that I think brings us into the present, and it's certainly you know the ever present reminder of Parkinson's is like him looking at death and that's what i think enables him to be present in his life to be still to be present in an emotional sense that he's available to his family very practically speaking super reliant on his family and they've showed up for him so i mean pretty apropos really
0: look he can't really act anymore to his credit michael j Fox show the Michael J Fox show featured him with parkinsons and it just didn't go over very well nobody elects a man in a wheelchair but sort of facing his diagnosis and presenting his real face to the world head on and that's admirable it doesn't really work it doesn't feel good for people so it didn't work what so what use does what value does the Michael J Fox brand have now he raised billions for Parkinson's which is crazy cool he's a beloved institution from movies that he did 45 years ago so now we still get the personality and still see the spark it was awesome when you see him send Brandon his lunchbox with his face on it, after saying that that kid was <laughs> never going to be on a lunchbox, and you can, and obviously that was a long time ago. But still, it's remarkable how crispy this dude is, given how tired he is, given how tired he was in 1984 or whatever, filming Back to the Future and getting no sleep, along with family ties. He's just so present, and you never would have thought that he was struggling, and that in later movies he was struggling. All you can see is the age on his face, and he his age is noticeable. Given his deteriorating physical condition and the fact that he falls over and shatters his cheek and has pins in his face and pins in his wrist and pins in his fingers and stuff and all that is horrible, but he's still definitely Michael J. Fox and hasn't lost a step, you know, in terms of, of, of his mental presence. And he's still that same dude. And I guess in a digital world where he can not just appear on our television screens or project that on a movie theater, it's nice to ha- still have that guy around. You know, it's funny. And for what I assumed to be a very sad, dour documentary, it was pretty entertaining just because I think he is still.
1: I don't know if it's subconscious, but do you know how many times you've used the word still in this still. review? <laughs> that he's still Michael J. Fox and we still love who he is and he's yeah. learning what it's what it means to be still and to be still
0: around. Dave's Guggenheim, I, I spoke to him right before this recording. He sponsored this podcast in fact and he said still drop the, the, the title as many times as possible. <laughs> you know, 'cause we're all it's all it's all promotion. We're all trying to promote each other, right? Go at it, kid. And I was like, great, say hi to Liz for me. <laughs>
1: Best of luck to Gugus Davenheim To Gugga's Davinheim. Wow. Nope. I'm keeping so it this in this is what there. I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. I'm worried about this, Wes. Yeah. Best of luck to Davis Guggenheim at the Emmys um, is, and I think will be a, a real contender. I, I definitely wish him the best. Um, and Michael J. Fox still holds a surprising amount of relevance for me, so much so that I was you know, looking forward to seeing this. And when I did see it, I immediately rolled right over into watching Back to the Future because I was just so overwhelmed with nostalgia for wanting to see that film.
0: That is a hard transition to roll from still to the presence of him in back to the future, uh, where he's doing most of his own stunts. I was worried that still was going to be just a another doc, just a chronology of symptoms. And you're like, see his hand trembling in real life, but how he holds it together and puts stuff in his left hand and stuff for the movies to mask these conditions. But really, I just enjoy watching him in movies and think that he had really great physical presence. It sucks the idea that this is what he called a cosmic price that he had to pay for all of his success. His body Pretty of work, heavy. It's so it's, it's all the more heartbreaking because he's such a physical presence for being as diminutive as he is. His acting was large and he really inhabited a role that defines my childhood and my my love of movies. And so that is why I came into still with some level of trepidation. And it, of course, it was sad, but it wasn't as sad as I feared it was going to be because there's such a difference between Marty McFly and Michael J. Fox of 2023.
1: And your final rating for Still a Michael J. Fox movie on Apple TV Plus multiple I mean nominee I
0: still like Michael J. Fox eh
1: eh eh I mean, if you hadn't used it a dozen times before.
0: (laughs) I don't think that Davis Guggenheim had quite the ending, but maybe it doesn't need an ending. This isn't Michael J. Fox's ending. He's still doing his thing, and it's just kind of present. Because if anything, we're looking back. Uh, Michael J. Fox doesn't see a lot ahead, and that may seem fatalistic to some, but he's being practical and realistic, and his day-to-day is what he's most focused on, and good for him for continuing with PT and for getting on the beach where it's hard for me to walk on sand. I can't imagine him, but I guess if he falls, he'll be all right. Um, And so I was perfectly happy with this documentary. It was very short, uh, no pun intended. It it was fine. I wouldn't say it was hard-hitting, but it was an interesting glimpse into someone who's been such a fixture in my life, as far as entertainment goes, for pretty much all my life. I'm glad I saw Still. I give it an all-right rating.
1: And I give it a good, as you probably could tell, Again, best of luck to Davis, Guggenheim, and team at the Emmys, and to Michael J. Fox, who after all this time is still doing his thing. we also love to hear from you. 818-835-0473 is our hotline. You can send us a text or leave us a voicemail. You can email us at orwhatevermovies at gmail.com. The best way that you can help Or Whatever Movies, if you enjoy it, is to leave us a five-star review and to follow us on Instagram at or whatever movies. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today.
1: Electric acid.
0: Electric, acid. Electric, acid. Electric acid.
1: Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were
0: there. Our guests are from the A list, the F list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear.
1: I'm Mercury. And
0: I'm Diego.
1: Your hosts for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.